You know, for, uh, I don't know if you can believe this, I'm sure you can, but it was 273 days ago, and over 40 Sundays ago when we first prayed that prayer, Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, which is us, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen, which is us, stay awake in vain. And today's message, you know, is going to be both a conclusion of the series of provision that we've been in, this, this three-week series, but it really is a conclusion to this entire ministry year that we started out on September praying and confessing, Lord, build your house, and today is sort of the, the closing, the conclusion of this year-long series before we begin to move towards summer. Uh, next week is Father's Day, so dads, you know, bring your families. What an incredible just opportunity just to show godly leadership by bringing them to church and just being here. We have some very awesome things planned for the dads next Sunday and the men in the house. And then the week after is our student takeover, where every year on the last uh, service in June, the last Sunday, we let the students take over the service and our students are going to minister to us. They're going to lead us in worship. They're going to bring testimonies. And Pastor Sam's going to be bringing the word. And then we're going to jump into our summer series on um, the parables of Jesus. And so that's going to be a really interesting uh, just journey this summer of just going week by week of just looking at some of the parables that Jesus told because Jesus was a storyteller. And so, you know, as we jump into this message, you know, to truly grasp where we've come, we've we got to put ourselves back in the shoes of where we were, you know, two plus years ago. And I know that we don't want to go there. You know, for many of us, that's in the rearview mirror. And, and the last thing we want to do is to remember where we've come these last two years. But I think to really grasp the God who is a provider, it's good, it's healthy to kind of remember where we've been and to see how God has led us and how God has carried us through this season of life. You know, our world has changed in a lot of ways. You know, we're different today than we were two plus years ago. And I think what this year has represented for us, this build your house theme, is recognizing that we're now in a season of rebuilding. You know, if you think of a storm, and, and we had that storm several weeks ago that serves as a, as a, as a metaphor of just, it came in in just a moment. You know, it was lasted 10 minutes, but the damage just lasted for such a, a long period of time. People are still rebuilding and repairing their property. And, and you, know, you know, this storm came into our life so fast. And when, when you add it all up, you know, in, the, in all that our lives are, it's just going to be such a short moment. But yet the, the repercussions are going to be felt for a long time. And so I think more so in the last few months, but we've been rebuilding. It's been a season of uh, recovery, yet we can look back through this stormy season and all that we've come through, and I think today, and tell me if you agree, that I think today we are more confident than we were back then that Jesus remains the chief cornerstone of our lives in this church. Do you believe that today? Can I get an amen to that? Things, yeah, they may not be the same, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're not rebuilding on a new normal. You know, as we go forward and sort of leave this ministry theme uh, behind, we're not rebuilding on a new foundation. We're rebuilding on the same foundation that God has always used to build his church for not two years, but 2,000 years, and that is on Christ the solid rock. 
And so how does God build his church? Well, some of the key building blocks we've looked at this past year, I'm going to bring you all the way back to to the month of September, as we begin to look at God's presence, the word presence, the first P word of of our six P words, presence. God's presence really is the key to everything, isn't it? God's presence is is the sole reason why we are here, why we've gathered. Because let me be honest with you, if God's presence is not here and with us right now, this is just a social club, okay? It's God's presence that really makes this gathering matter, that makes this church matter. And so we need to be fundamentally a people who are about God's presence. And not just only in the sense that we come to church to be in God's presence, but that we come and we be in God's presence to leave this place and to become God's presence in a sense, to carry with us the presence of Jesus into the world uh, to those who are lost, to those who are lonely, to those who are broken, and bring Jesus, his presence, into a lost and broken world. So that was number one. The second month, uh, we looked at the, the word position, of knowing who we are in Christ so we can know whose we are. And I think that knowing who we are is a, in Christ is a very underrated aspect of our discipleship journey. You know, there's no secret. Culturally, there's this obsession today with identity, of discovering and expressing your identity, and anything that sort of inhibits that discovery and expression uh, is just looked down upon in culture. But I think as Christ followers, we need to be obsessed with discovering and expressing not our self-made identity, but our God-given identity. Amen? That is ours, is our inheritance when we are born again and become rooted in Christ. So, do you know who you are in Christ? You know, do you know whose you are in Christ? Number three, the third P word was power. The word power. And for our series on power, we recognize that the world we live in and the ruler of this world, which is Satan, is not neutral towards God and us, but is actually hostile and working actively against God and his purposes here on earth. And there's no greater evidence than the power of sin at work in this world and and even at work uh, sometimes in us. But we are rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we testify that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world because the power of Christ is just far greater. He breaks the power of sin in our life. And so we invite Holy Spirit to come to fill us and and uh, the Holy power of the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us. Fourth was people. We looked at the story of Joseph, that when it comes to building God's house, his church, and his kingdom, God has every resource available to him to build his church. But what does God love to use most? What is his most favorite resource? People. Weak, broken people. And that the, the people that God is looking for are not people who are great in outward appearances, but people who are great in heart. You know, like Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The pure, the pure at heart, the peacemakers, the merciful, the meek, the steadfast, and the obedient. Those are the the sort of people that God is looking for, that God is searching for in order to use to build his kingdom. And then fifth, our last series that we looked at before this one was prayer. That as God's kingdom comes from heaven to earth, as this kingdom comes, God invites us to be co-laborers with him, to be partners with Christ through the work of prayer. And that is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
And we are actively participating in this, this, this act of seeing God's kingdom come from heaven to earth. And so quite simply, prayer is the most important activity that we can do as followers of Jesus. And then lastly is the building block of provision. And as we've established over the last two weeks, one of the primary ways that God chooses to reveal himself to us is as provider. You know, the, he is known to us in Scripture as Jehovah Jireh, which is a Hebrew word meaning, a Hebrew name for God, which means the Lord will provide. And as provider, his supply for us is endless. His resources are limitless. You know, Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, the psalm speaks about how the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. There's nothing on earth that does not belong to him. The earth is his and everything in it. So when any of God's children are in need, God's resources, his ability, his, his supply for you is endless. And so because God gives generously, Scripture says is that is why we can ask God. Why? Because God is a generous God. He loves to give. You can't outgive God. I dare you to try. I dare any one of you to say, I'm going to be somebody who outblesses God. I'm going to outbless God by outgiving God of my finances and my time. And, and, I, and God almost invites you. In fact, he does invite you. Put me to the test. You know, test me, it says in his word. You know, have any of you ever experienced the Lord as provider before? Is there anyone here today who can testify to encountering the living God as provider? That it's not just God meeting your needs while he does that, but it's, it's more than that. It's meeting God, having an encounter with God as provider. I think that is what, who God wants to reveal himself to you as. He wants to invite you to deepen your relationship with him, not just sort of that God is supplying like an e-transfer. God, I need a few hundred dollars, I'm short. And God's like, okay, no worries, I'll e-transfer you those funds. Password, Jesus. And then you open your bank account and there it is. It's more than that. He wants to know you and for you to know him as provider. You know, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, my prayer for you as we close is, is not just you'll know God as provider, but my God, your God. And that you, like Paul, can testify that for your life. My God has, will, and has supplied every need of mine. Why? Because I've seen God do it before, and I know that in times of future and times of uncertainty, that he'll do it again. That he'll do it again. And for that reason, I think when times do become challenging, I, my prayer is that if we ever do face something similar, and hopefully we don't, but if we do, that we as the church, we won't relapse into that same, you know, lessons of, of overcoming fear and, and learning to lean on God, but we'll be more confident than we were before that we'll be more trusting than we were before. Because in times of, of hard times and challenging times, who should be more confident? Who should be more secure in times like those than God's children? And the answer is, is that there should be nobody on earth that has more confidence and trust that there will be provision than God's children, than you and than me. 
But as wonderful as it is to speak about the Lord, his provider, the Jehovah Jireh, there's, we still need to recognize that there's a struggle that takes place. You know, there is a continuous battle in our hearts to honor and acknowledge God as our provider. And it's not that we're against the idea of, the, of God's provision. I mean, I haven't met anyone who is rich or poor and never met a person who doesn't like being taken care of. Do you like being taken care of? You know, do you like it when a nice meal is cooked for you at home? You know, when you, you say, put your feet up, honey, I'm going to clean up the house. You know, I'll pick up the kids. We, you know, when the province was handing out money during the pandemic, you know, it was, it's not like I was sending the money back <laughs> and saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we're not against the Lord being our provider, but I think what, what we need to sort of recognize is that where this God as provider presses up against what is our, in this ingrained cultural belief that we all carry is that God's not just interested in being a provider. Like, he wants to be the sole source of provision for your life. You know, we talked about that last week, how sometimes we can be tempted into thinking that, yes, God's a provider, but because I've provided so much for myself, that God's role as provider is to sort of fill in the missing cracks. That it's like, okay, when this has extended my ability to provide for myself, then sort of God steps in and says, okay, watch me do what I can do. But I don't think that's what it is to know God as provider. I think to know God as provider is not just to see him as a provider, but the the sole provider for our life. And why? It's because that's actually who he is. God doesn't just provide with the things that we aren't able to provide for ourselves. His provision for you is what gives and sustains your very life. Like every breath that you take, like just even just breathe in. And breathe out. You know, that oxygen that you just breathed into your lungs was a gift given to you by God. Yes, that's why Psalm 150, verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Why should everything that has breath praise the Lord? Because God has given you that breath in your lungs. That's why you should praise him. And, and so a big part of, I think, our discipleship journey, that is, growing closer to God by following closer to Jesus, is for God to want to lead you and I to a place where we come to the recognition that everything we have in our hands is a gift from God. And everything that we need in this life will be supplied by God. But how does God lead us there, you might ask? And then the question is, well, how has God led others there before? You know, why is it that Israel needed to spend 40 years in the wilderness? You know, the answer wasn't because that's how long it took to travel from Egypt where they were slaves and to get to the land of Canaan. It wasn't a 40-year journey. In fact, you know how long it should have taken for the people of Israel to get from Egypt to the promised land? 11 days. And that's, like, without cars and, and plenty. That's just, like, by walking and, like, sitting on camels and, and whatnot. Eleven days was the journey from one to the other. But the reason it took not 11 days, not 40 days, not 40 months, but 40 years was that's how long it took for God to instill in them that he was 
to be the only source of provision for their lives. You know, it was the very first command that God gave the, the children of Israel that was the hardest command to keep. That is, you shall have no other gods before me. And provision is a, a test of that first command. It's, it's, you shall have no other gods for me. And that it's, it's that, is my provision come from somewhere else? Do I have another god that I'm putting before God as my own source of provision? Am I making myself a god above God? No. The first command is you shall have no other gods before me. And so God what he would do in order to teach and instill in them that this command was the most important command to obey and follow was that when he would send his people into battle, what would he do? He would only send them with enough soldiers and enough weapons that they would look at what they had in their hands and they'd be like, oh boy, this is not enough. We don't have enough. Look at them. Look at that army. There's thousands of them and we have a just a few, a few. So that the only way that they could be victorious was, well, if God fights our battles. If God fights our battles, then we'll win. But if he doesn't fight our battles, we're, 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 in, we're in bad shape. How did God lead his people? Well, he led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And when God wanted them to move, and he was like, okay, I'm going to take you. And remember, there's wandering in wilderness. So it's not like their destination had any really point or significance. It's just God's moving them. He didn't stop to explain, you know, why and where. You know, as parents, you know, you're sort of taught that if you want to move your children in a direction, it's important to give them the why, right? Tell them why. Here's why we're doing this. God's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not telling you the why. Just when I move, you can come or you cannot come. The choice is yours. And so when God's presence would, would move, he didn't stop to explain why or where. The pillar would just move. And the people of Israel had to become trained to learn that when God moved, when his presence moved, that they had no other choice but to pack up your things quickly and get on your way and begin to follow God's presence. And how God provided for their physical needs was to leave on the ground every morning small white flakes that they called manna. The beautiful thing about this provision was that it was a daily provision. The Lord said, take only what you need today. And if they took what they needed today, they were nourished. Their, their bodies were taken care of. But if they took more than they needed that day, when they would wake up in that morning, that which they gathered for tomorrow was supernaturally spoiled. You see what God was doing those 40 years? How did God lead the people of Israel to a place where they knew he was provider? Is that he would lead them to places where they had nothing left. They had no options left other than to trust that God would follow through, that God would come through, that God would provide. They couldn't just rely on God for provision in some areas of life, but in all areas they needed to know that God was Jehovah Jireh, that the Lord will provides. And so what does that mean then for you and I when we look at that lesson, we look at that example of Israel? Forty years it took them to learn the lesson. How long is it going to take for you and I to learn that lesson? Does God lead us to a place similarly where he wants us to have nothing left but other than to lean on him? Or are we just somehow different? Like the Israelites took them 40 years, but you know, look at all we have. Like we don't, we don't need daily bread. We've got like tons of loaves of bread in the freezer. Like, are we just somehow better than Israel? And we just are sort of spared from learning this hard lesson? 
Let me ask you a question, and, and I think this might be a question that could rub up on you. When was the last time God led you to give something up in order for him to demonstrate his provision? When was the last time you felt the Lord's voice leading you to give something up in order for you to say, the Lord is provider, the Lord is Jehovah Jireh? No, I don't ask that so anyone feels bad or, or guilty, but I say this, I ask this to sort of point out that we love this idea that God provides by addition. But what is about when God wants to provide for us through subtraction? That when God provides by adding to him, I praise him as provider, but when God doesn't add but he takes away, can I still praise him? Can I still worship him as provider? You know, provision is great when it means that God gives to me on top of everything that I already have. But what about when God wants to lead you and I to places where a different sort of place where of knowing that he is Jehovah Jireh? You know, what if God wants to teach me that if I had to give up everything, that if I had to sacrifice and, and I give up everything that I've earned and I've built and I've achieved and provided for myself and sacrifice all that I hold dear, that I could still believe that everything I need, God will supply. When it comes to having to give things up for God, I think we have enough of difficulty giving God our firsts, let alone our lasts. You know, so we sometimes do struggle, don't we? And I, and I include myself in this as well. You know, to give God the firsts, the principle of the firsts, first of our income, you know, the, the, the principle of setting aside of the first part of our income, the 10% to give to the Lord, the first of our time, the best of our time to the Lord, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, set aside, and we, we set aside to gather with the body, you know, sometimes coming to church, it's a sacrifice, and it should be a sacrifice. If you only want to go to church because it pleases you or fills some sort of, of uh, you know, consumer need, then you're going to church for the wrong reason. You go to church to sacrifice, to be part of a body. You know, we're like the most well-fed people in all of human history. But when God calls us to give up a single meal and to fast for him, it's just like, oh, Lord, just make me a saint now because I gave up lunch on a Wednesday for you and I'm ready to, like, achieve sainthood. But when I do look back at some of the great heroes of faith, here's what I see about their lives. It wasn't the firsts that they had to give up in order to know God as provider. It was their lasts. It was the very last that they had, that they had to give up in order to know God was provider. I think about Abraham. You know, God promised Abraham that he would give him a son in his old age. You know, Abraham and Sarah were old. And I can say that because they were older than every single one of you here. And at that age, the Lord's like, you're going to have a son. You know, Sarah's going to give birth to a son. And when, he, when you give birth, you know, the son's going to result in, in making your descendants as numerous as the stars. Like, what would you, what would you think, like, Nicole, if the Lord's like, God's going to give you a baby? <laughs> you know, and, it, it's, and what do Abraham and Sarah do? They, they begin to get impatient. They begin to want to circumvent God's provision. And they rush the process. Sarah puts Hagar in front of Abraham and Abraham doesn't say no. And, you know, the story, story goes. And then finally, after waiting and, and into their old age, God, they finally receive provision. They receive a son whose name is Isaac. And what happens after God gives Abraham Isaac? Well, he wants to test Abraham's faithfulness. 
And he commands Abraham to take his one and only son, Isaac, and sac- have him sacrificed on the altar. You know, Genesis 22, 7 to 8 tells the story. It says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both, uh, both, they went, both of them, together. You know what I think is most remarkable for me about this whole story is that entire time, up to laying his son on the altar, which, can I let you know that Abraham, or Isaac wasn't like a little child, just innocent and unaware? You know, most commentators, Jewish commentators, put him in his 30s. He's like my age. And he lays him down on the altar, and all the way up to raising up the knife, it says... He's about, he has the knife in the air. And the entire time, he still believes with the knife in the air that God is going to provide him with a sacrifice. And what does God do? He does. You know, when he's ready to give him his very one and only son, you know, right at that moment, God provides her. What about the widow of Zarephath, who was visited by the prophet Elijah? And the the, the prophet Elijah visits this woman and says, you know, can you go make me some bread? And she's like, well, I'd love to make you some bread, except for uh, this, I'm down to my last little bit of flour and oil, and my plan was to go home and to make the last of our ingredients, to make just enough bread for my son and I to eat, and then we were going to lie down and we were going to die, because that's, we've got nothing left. This is it. This is our last meal. And Elijah's like, well, okay, well, no worries. Just go home and make the bread and make sure the, the outsides of the bread are not burnt because I don't really like burnt bread. And just make sure the under, inside is just a little bit undercooked because that's how I like my bread. And Elijah says, go home and trust that when you use up that last little bit of flour and oil, when you use it up and you put your trust in God, when you put your trust in God, that very last act of giving God your last you will see God as provider. And she does it. She goes home and she gives and she uses that last bit of flour and that last bit of oil. And there she's able to encounter God as her provider. God as Jehovah Jireh. And so while God might not ever lead you and I to a place where he's calling you to give up your last piece of bread and lie down and like that's it, that's it for your life, I do believe that God wants you and I to be led to a place of faith where we can be left without a doubt that it was God and it was God alone who provided for me. It wasn't God plus me. It wasn't something else. It was God and God alone. And yet, because we live with such abundance, you know, this is kind of where the wrestle is for us today. And I know I don't speak for everyone, but generally speaking, you know, rarely do we find ourselves in a place where the only option left for where what we need is for God to come through and be the one who provides. And I honestly believe, church, that it would be a travesty to live your entire life and to never know what it feels like to have no other option for it to be but God. To have your entire life and never experience, have that experience of having God be your last and only option. And to see God come through. And I'm sure there are many of you here today who can testify to that. You know, you, you grew up in a, in a country or a place where you had to rely on God for your daily bread. And you saw God come through. 
You have those testimonies. But what about the rest of us? What is it that we do when we've been, and, and I, I'm preaching to those who just have grown up living in a culture of abundance. When we have more than enough, when all of our needs have been met, you know, we got a pension. We don't have to worry about our old age because, you know, the, the government or the work will, workplace will provide. You know, we, we don't have to worry about, you know, my, I bought a house and, like, it doubled in price the last few years. Like, I'm not worried. I have provision. It's, it's all good. You know, how can I know then God is provider when I seemingly have everything? Because it's one thing to know God is provider when you have nothing. Not that it's easy by any means. It's not that, and I'm sure if you've ever been in that situation where like, Pastor Terry, I had nothing, and it was the farthest thing from easy to trust God in that moment. But sometimes to know God as provider when you have nothing, it's just the options are a little more straightforward. It's like, what do you do to know God? Get on your knees. Get on your face and cry out to God and pray and fast and give up food and, and just sacrifice and, you know, put on, you know, just like that sackcloth and ashes and just wail before the Lord. But what about when it's the opposite of that, when you have everything still, but you still want to know God? And I believe that. Do you want to know God? Even if you're like, I have an emergency fund, I have a backup plan, but I still want to know God as my provider. I still want to experience him. Is there anyone here today who's like, yeah, that's me. I want to know God in that way. Well, what I've found is that knowing God comes down to the question of trust. It's not necessarily do you trust God, but if you turn it around and ask the question the other way, does God trust you? Think about that for a moment. Does God trust you? Because we often think about us, trust is something we got to trust God with. And absolutely. But what about the other way around? When God trusts you, when he puts things into your hands, not as a way of saying, this is yours, but I am entrusting this to you. Because if we believe that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then the one who knows God as provider is the one who has a recognition and it's a recognition that comes by the Spirit of God that everything I have in my hands actually doesn't belong to me. I know that makes complete, no complete sense in our culture to say, what do you mean? I put, the, I put the down payment. I paid the mortgage payment. What do you mean my house doesn't belong to me? My name's on the deed. My job, I earned, I went to school for nine years in order to get this degree, and now this job, I did it. You know, you're my family, my kids, I've provided for my children. What do you mean they don't belong to me? But what if they, that in your hands is not evidence of your achievements, but it's evidence of God's provision that your house, your job, your savings accounts, your spouse, your children is evidence that God has trusted you enough to place all those things in your hands. See, if you are one of those today who has abundance, who has more than enough, to know God as your provider, usually it will come down to the question of who owns what. And that's the heart wrestle. Rarely do I find Christians today struggle to wrestle with salvation. It's more of a struggle around stewardship. It's who's the owner here and who's the steward. Because if I'm the owner of this all, then who am I accountable to? No one. 
I can do whatever I want with my house. I can do whatever I want with my job, my children, my family. It's mine. But if it belongs to God, if my children actually don't belong to me, but they belong to the Lord, how many of you know that you are going to be held accountable and have to give an account for everything you did as a mom or a dad? And as your, your wife, if your wife does not belong to you but belongs to the Lord and you're actually married to the daughter of God, you're going to be accountable to God one day and you stand before him and he's going to say, how did you take care of my daughter? How did you treat my daughter? You know, if God's the owner and you believe that today and really it comes down to that belief, what does that make you? It makes you his steward. And as stewards, the way we honor God is not just to believe everything that we have in our hands as a result of God's blessing and provision, but secondly, it's to respond to him in trust by being godly stewards of everything he has provided for us. So God supplies, and you steward it. You steward it. You invest it back into the kingdom. How I love my family is how I know God as provider. How I spend my finances is how I know God as provider. And how I spend my time is how I know God as provider. See, in Christ, we are not judged for our sin, but we will be judged, every single one of us, for how well we stewarded his provision. So today in closing, first, for those today who are more in that category of, I need to know God today as someone who has nothing. I'm down to my last option. I'm really in need of God coming through. How do I know him today? If that's you today and you are hanging on by a thread, yet your trust for God remains strong, remember, as we read earlier in Jeremiah, you are living the blessed life. It says, blessed is the one who puts their trust in the Lord. It's not blessed is the one who has an emergency savings of six months. It's blessed is the one who puts their trust in the Lord. My encouragement to you today is to keep trusting and don't give up. Because if you keep hanging on long enough, you are going to see God do great things. Um, I can't tell you how many times as pastor, I have witnessed this, of members of the congregation tell me their testimony, and their testimony has some variation of this, is that I was at the very end of it, and I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to give up, and it was that, that, that very moment I had a decision. It's do I pack it in, or do I put my trust in God? And I chose trust, and then boom, God provided. Is there anyone here today who's like, that's always me. Yeah, come on. And guess what happens? You know, every time you do that, your roots grow down a little bit deeper. You're like that tree planted by streams of water, and your roots just grow closer and closer to that stream. Your faith grows a little stronger. And I hope that encourages someone in the house today, that what you think is about to break you is about to become a testimony of God's breakthrough in your life. So keep holding on, keep trusting. And then I want to speak to the second group here today. How can you know God is provider when you have seemingly everything, or at least you have more than enough? You know him today by recognizing the trust he has placed in you as his steward. And then you respond to him with obedience. Obedience to what he calls you to do in his word, to acknowledge his ways. What are his ways when it comes to how to properly steward our finances, when it comes to treating our family, our spouses. You know, it's all there in his word. Read it. (laughs) We need to use what God has entrusted to us to glorify him and to grow his kingdom. So would you stand to your feet? And so I just want to encourage all of you here today 
whether you are someone who more identifies with the crowd, it's like, I've got nothing, or you're more in that category of like, I've got more than enough. Whoever you are here today, I am inviting you, I don't know, I believe God's inviting you to go deeper in knowing him as provider. You know, it's provision is not about who's rich or who's poor. It comes down to relationship. It's do you know him as a provider or do you not know him? And so today what I want to do is I just want to close in prayer, but just symbolically as we close this ministry year off, I want to read a prayer to you that we've prayed, uh, you know, throughout the year, more so at the beginning of the year, but we've been praying it throughout the year, and it's, it was the prayer of our ministry year. And so I just want to pray this over you. And if you know the prayer, you can pray it along with me. Uh, but let me just pray this over you and, and just bless you today as, as we leave. And this is the prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to be more like you. And Holy Spirit, empower us to be who you've gifted us to be. And Father, teach us to abide in your love. Jesus, heal broken relationships, hearts, minds, and bodies. Teach us to rise early. Pray fervently and trust your word is the ultimate truth. Give us hearts quick to surrender to you, strong to resist darkness, tender to others around us. Help us love, not judge, to build up, not break down. Let us love one another as you love us. Jesus, send revival and start in us. The harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Lord, send us. Until heaven, until earth looks like heaven, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, build your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.